Hello, and welcome to IRI Growth Insights, featuring IRI thought leaders, industry partners, and guests. For more than 40 years, IRI has been known for its invaluable data, but these podcasts delve into the insights the data reveal to fuel market disruption and market growth for those in the CPG, retail, healthcare, and media markets. I'm your host, Joan Driggs, coming to you from IRI's corporate headquarters in Chicago. Hello, and welcome to another episode of IRI Growth Insights. I'm Joan Driggs, and today we're going to be talking about the love of pets is good business. You know, the coronavirus, the pandemic has really changed the pet world, um, definitely for the future. As people stayed home, pet adoption went through the roof. According to an article in the Washington Post, um, shelters, nonprofit rescues, private breeders, pet stores, they all reported that there was more demand for pets, especially dogs, than there were puppies to provide. Um, People stuck at home were looking for companions or even like a healthy distraction for kids. Um, And we really see this shaking out in sales of pet food and supplies. Um, IRI tracks like across multi-outlet, including grocery, drug, mass. And at the surface, it looks like pet food spend is flat, um, and pet sales of pet supplies and treats are up. But we know that in e-commerce, pet is one of those top-ranked categories in terms of sales. In fact, if you look across retailers, it's like the third and fourth top category. So it's booming, and, and it's a complicated business. Um, but there's a lot of el- other elements of pet, and that's going to be what we talk about today. So I'm joined with Hannah Polk, a registered dietitian and an associate data product manager at SPINS, which tracks the natural and specialty channels, um, a great partner to IRI. And Hannah is actually one of those new pet owners, having recently adopted Hero, a German shepherd puppy that she'll talk about. Um, And Hannah was kind of the brains behind a new report that SPINS just released called SPINS Pet Trends 2020. What's Driving Today's Pet Parents, Um, a report that combines IRI's POS data across multi-outlet channels with SPINS coverage of that specialty and natural channel um, to give a full view of the total pet food and supplies market. So welcome, Hannah. Thank you, Joan. I'm really excited to be here. This is great. So Hannah, tell, tell me more about your role and why the pet channel or like why PET is so important to the natural channel? Sure. So I'm on the product intelligence team at SPINS. And my primary role is really the ideation and creation of what we at SPINS call attributes. And what an attribute is, is it's really synonymous with characteristics or traits of a product, which can really mean a number of different things from product details like marketing claims, to nutrition fact panel data, to these insights and trends that we're seeing within the industry. So I heavily focus on these insights and trends. So really, the idea behind our attributes is to give our customers the ability to view the data through different lenses um, and track several different trends. So with the ideation of attributes, you really have to know the different markets and the different trends and have the ability to really just identify what it is that consumers are seeking out, what they're looking to avoid, 
really get in the head of the consumer. Um, and it's really my role to be that content expert. And as you mentioned, I do have a background that is deeply rooted in food and nutrition with being a registered dietitian. And then in terms of the pet industry, I've always just had a very strong interest in the pet industry with being a dog lover and um, with Hero in my life now. And since joining Spins, I've really been able to explore that interest. And I've done a ton of different market research in the pet industry and have really come to understand the pet industry. And with that, I've been able to help my team with building out what we call our pet food roadmap. So really just figuring out how we as a team are planning on like tackling the pet industry. So what's our game plan with attribution? Like what attributes are trending? Um, what Again, what are customers looking for in the pet industry? And then also since joining Spins, like you said, I've had the opportunity to help develop several different marketing content with Spins, um, specifically this pet trends report, which we're going to talk about today. Um, and then, yeah, as you said, I just recently adopted Hero. So I've helped out with this bump in sales in the uh, pet industry. So yeah, I'm really excited to help talk about the pet industry. You know, you're you're a really fortunate person because you are bringing so many of your different passions together mm-hmm. into, one, into one living, breathing. You bring it to work. You're at home with it. So um, that's you're in a perfect spot for this. I love it. You're in your own <laughs> test case. Um, so like the natural channel for pet, it's, it's pretty small compared to like the, the conventional market. So why is pet so important? Yeah. So over the past 25 years or so, we've seen how the pet industry has really grown and evolved into the complex industry that it is today. And we've watched how Americans are just continuing to increase their year over year spending. And when you look at specifically like the natural industry, 30% of households have bought, of natural households have bought pet food and treats within the last year, or at least twice in the past year. And I mean, really no trend better represents how these pet owners are caring for their pets than the increase in sales of the natural products. So it's really just people are focused on those better for you products. They're focused on these products for themselves, and then they're focused on these products for their pet. So, and I think, Hannah, what I'm hearing you say is that the natural channel is so important because the behaviors that we see people exhibit in natural channels, you know, like they're trying to eat healthier, they're looking at ingredients, they've got attributes that are go-tos for them. Um, Maybe it's a greater sense of control during a pandemic that we don't really have, but the natural channel has really been blossoming. And in fact, um, a couple weeks ago, we did a a podcast here with your colleague, Catherine Peters, on the natural shopper in a down economy. So we know that there's a a lot of value in that natural channel, but I kind of want to go back up a little bit and compare the natural channel to conventional. So IRI tracks about $49 billion in CPG pet care, including food, treats, and supplies. And that doesn't even include things like grooming, pet insurance, or pet daycare. So it's a huge market. And then you mentioned that 30% of households have bought um, natural pet food and treats at least twice in the past year. And that percentage is even doubled um, among conventional um, channels. And if, and we do see like the dog purchases outnumber cat purchases. 
Um, but I think that we've also seen cat purchases really increase. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about that. So let's talk about some of those preferences um, that those natural shoppers are bringing with them, um, you know, for natural, organic, maybe some kind of a specific attribute. Um, is it that they're shopping for their pets in the same way that they're shopping for themselves? So, yeah, so what we suspect is that pet owners are, in fact, reflecting their own shopping patterns onto their pet. So with that being said, the natural consumer is likely going to continue their purchasing habits onto their pet. And they're going to look for those same attributes that they look for in a product for themselves for their pet. So, for example, say that you're an organic shopper. It is likely that you're going to choose organic products for your pet as well. But there's also a little bit of that, you know, they call them pet parents for a reason too. So they're also like shopping as a parent. And I think that that goes beyond just like, you know, life stage products for their pet, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, being a pet parent myself, I'm reading the labels, looking at, you know, the ingredients and nutrition fact panel, the quality. Um, yeah. It's just like shopping for a child. <laughs> And then do you also indulge um, Hero, like with things like, is he going to have a Halloween costume? And uh, We have talked about the Halloween costume. We've talked about being um, Shrek and Fiona and then having him be the donkey from Shrek. Uh, but, but we'll see. He's growing so fast. I'd have to buy him the costume that day or else he'll grow out of it. <laughs> so we, so I, I guess part of it is that millennials are really having this huge impact. You know, I mean, I think that we're talking about millennials here um, and driving that CPG demand curve for pet food and supplies. Um, but there's also like, let's talk a little bit more about how the whole pet adoptions um, are really changing the market because there are some who have already had a pet. There are some who are new to, um, you know, pet parenthood. Um, so talk about the impact of COVID-19 on this market. Today, one in every three pet owners is a millennial, which is actually absurd considering millennials only account for 22% of the population. And what we have found is millennials, they're open to trying new things. They're open to trying holistic and naturally branded nutritional pet supplements before conventional pet medication. And they're also specifically 69% of millennial pet owners are more likely to consider foods with natural ingredients over mass-produced foods. Millennials are having this huge impact. Are there different areas maybe of opportunity that you see or things that millennials in particular are driven by, some of those attributes that are the most important to them? Yeah, and in terms of attribution, what Spins found is that really natural position is driving growth across many subcategories. So, and then aside from that, raw position is actually driving growth in dog and cat food, as well as dog treats. Um, Grain-free is driving growth in dog and cat foods and cat treats. And then also we're seeing that frozen, the frozen section is starting to drive growth in dog food, which I'm very interested in frozen dog food. Um, I think that this trend specifically really speaks to the kind of care that pet owners are taking for their pets because, I mean, 
the refrigerator and the freezer section, those are, you know, there's limited space in there. So people are actually going out of their way to make space for their pets within their freezers, which really speaks to the focus of health and well-being for your pet. I always thought it was interesting that pet food was the category that brought refrigeration into center store, you know, mm-hmm. that, that I just thought that was so interesting, but I didn't know that it was in frozen as well. I yeah. would have known to go to the freezer to look for pet food. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I mean, having so, like having a German shepherd myself, I can't imagine how much frozen food he would need for just a week. I would have to have a separate freezer for him. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. <laughs> well, you know, there's been a lot of the freezers have been a hot commodity during the pandemic. So now we know that pets are probably driving that. Yeah. It's not just us. Um, so what other things do you see kind of impacting the pet market moving forward? Like what are new areas that companies are kind of moving into? Yeah, we are seeing a lot of brand innovation. For example, a couple of brands like Blue Buffalo and Buddy Biscuits are really driving growth in the natural cat treat subcategory. And the reason that these are really um, innovators is because Blue Buffalo, for example, recently launched some natural cat treat products that are marketed for several attributes, such as free from chicken or poultry byproduct meals, um, no artificial flavors or preservatives, no corn, wheat, or soy. And each product has a market claim on it that says that it's made with a real meat as the first ingredient. So that's an example of just the, how these attributes can help drive growth and help these brands really differentiate themselves, um, specifically for the millennial crowd that's looking for these types of things. And I've seen that not just, well, first, I think it's interesting that cats are this huge area of growth and that this is a a good way of developing that new market or growing that existing market. Um, Blue Buffalo is a really interesting story too. That was um, one of our top or the top um, new product pace setter of 2019. And it's owned by General Mills now. So that means that the distribution for this company that has been out there for some for some years has gotten much bigger, um, but it got its start. Like Blue Buffalo got its start in that specialty market. So there's a couple things at play there that mm-hmm. I think are really interesting. Um, so okay, so you've got uh, things like you know the no preservatives, no corn, wheat, or soy, um, made with real um, ingredients like chicken or you know other real ingredients as the first thing. What else is there um, that people or that millennials in particular might be looking for? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, CBD has been a huge hit in the pet industry. And, you know, aside from your pet's health, CBD really has to do with your pet's quality of life. And Spins Research has found that the top reasons that pet owners rely on CBD oils and treats is to help calm their pets. Um, so help calming the nerves and for joint relief. And actually it was found that about 25% of dog owners and 25% of cat owners have actually given their pet CBD, which I found to be very interesting. And CBD is really seeing growth across all categories um, within vitamins and supplements, within treats, and it's expected to hit about 125 million by 2022. 
pet owners are interested in high protein foods, natural ingredients, and clean products. So, you know, minimal or no preservatives, artificial flavors, and colors. And they're also interested, what we'll talk about later, in grain-free, as we talked about how, like, shopping habits are being mirrored in their pets. So are diets, kind of, like how um, in the food and bev industry, grain-free diets right now. Um, you, you see paleo, keto, Whole30, these things that um, are all focused on minimal carbohydrates and no grains. Uh, but yeah, we'll talk about that later, but we're seeing the same thing in pet. And I think that that mindset is, evidence, is evident in sales and trends for dog and cat food, where attributes are really attracting shoppers and influencing these purchasing decisions. Yeah, I think that there is... You know, it is interesting that there are, there, just as there's controversy around like the human diet and what we should be mm-hmm. eating, and it's, it kind of reflects similarly with pets. Um, but I think that, that your key takeaway here is that, you know, brands should be really promoting their attributes like on packaging. Um, maybe it's natural or organic, or even with conventional retailers, um, a lot of them are banning artificial ingredients. So to me, it's, it's a great time. The opportunity is now for natural companies to kind of get ahead of it. They've already got a little bit of a lead. Um, and conventional brands certainly are motivated um, or should be by retailers to like clean up their statements. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some other like really interesting things that, that I saw in the report that are kind of bubbling up. Things like, you know, more functional ingredients um, for pets. So where, what do you see there? Yeah, so I suspect that ancient grains is really going to be on the rise in the pet industry. So as you were talking about how there's some controversy around grains, so those products that are grain inclusive, I think that they're going to lean more towards the healthier grains, like ancient grains and whole grains. Um, And then aside from that, I, I think that several themes are going to be rising in the pet industry, such as gut health and digestion, Um, anti-inflammatory and skin and coat health. So for gut health, I imagine that probiotics and prebiotics are going to see success. Um, Chlorophyll and chlorella for their gut health and fiber and immune capabilities. And then I've also seen pumpkin for gut health in pets. Um, And then in terms of anti-inflammatory, I think that we'll see the glucosamine and the glucosamine chondroitin combo which have been known for their anti-inflammatory benefits in pet. And then in terms of skin and coat health, I think that we'll see these oils that are high in omegas, like fish oil concentrate, flaxseed oil, hemp seed oil. And I actually have known several people that mix in fish oil with their pet food. And they say that it just gives them like the shiniest coat. (laughs) This is, I mean, it really is a page out of what humans are going through right now. Even especially I'm like thinking, oh my God, joint health too. Yeah, that's a pricey one, but yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, So let's talk a little bit about like sustainability because that's another hot topic, um, especially with millennials. They're willing to spend more for sustainably marketed products. Um, They might even base their choice of retailer on the the availability of sustainable products. Um, This could include things like sourcing of ingredients, packaging materials, waste, um, even like social issues like treatment of workers or, Mm -hmm. you know, animal testing. So 
how are millennials like driving change in sustainability in the pet world? Sure. So as we mentioned earlier, millennials are really focused on making informed choices for their pets, um, whether it has to do with pet health or as you're saying, sustainability. Um, and millennials, they're concerned with where their pets food is sourced from and sustainability really is a growing factor for consumers across this space. And millennials are actually more likely than any other demographic to value sustainable proteins. So you'll see on products like salmon sustainably sourced marketing claims like that. I think that millennials are this more often to choose these types of products. And really millennials aren't the only generation that's driving this change. According to a study, 73% of Gen Z um, population are actually willing to spend more for sustainable products, whereas it was 68% of millennials. So Gen Zs are also the a generation to keep your eye on for sustainability. And food isn't the only area in the pet industry where we're seeing these sustainability efforts. Um, brands like Coco Kitty and Bark Potty have implemented waste reduction into their philosophies as well. So Coco Kitty is an organic biodegradable kitty litter that's actually made from coconut pith, which is already a waste product. And it can be reused as a natural garden fertilizer as well, or used as kitty litter. Um, and then in terms of dogs, Bark Potty is a all natural disposable pee pad that's made from the bark of a tree. So one single Bark Potty pad can replace up to 60 pee pads. So that's a significant movement towards sustainability. And then in terms of the future, I do see that eco-friendly packaging is really gonna start gaining some momentum in the pet industry. Uh, eco-friendly packaging though is can be tricky in such a heavy e-commerce industry, I think. Um, I found, I did find an article the other day that I found pretty interesting. It was about the potential for a system that's pretty similar to like the old milkman days with pet food. So using reusable pet food packaging and having the pet food delivered. Is that loop? Uh-huh. Yeah. And then globally, a couple large companies like Nestle and Purina have actually set goals to make their packaging completely recyclable and reusable by 2025 across all businesses, including dog and cat foods. Yeah, well, and I would think too, especially because so much of the packaging for pet is so large. I mean, mm -hmm. wouldn't it be great to actually make bags out of the pee pads so you could, yeah. <laughs> you could have you could have your um, your puppy chow show up in one of these pee pad bags? I don't know. That's kind of a clever idea. Yeah. Um, you know, because sustainability is such a huge opportunity, um, and it's driving. Most of the growth, like sustainably marketed products, are driving most of the growth in, in CPG. And the problem, like with pet treats in particular, it's a very small, um, small segment of the market, but it's, there's total upside. Um, and I think that what's holding it back mostly is efficacy, you know, proving efficacy. Um, so, again, fantastic opportunity. Um, so let's, let's move on a little bit to some of the retail experience because you have mentioned like e-commerce, which is huge. I've mentioned how, how it's one of the top categories in e-com. Um, but this had been like the retail experience with e-com had really been changing that, um, purchasing, 
behavior for pet owners, for pet parents, even before the pandemic. Um, so, you know, people don't want to spend much time in the store. And when they do buy, they want to buy more. Um, and this has got to really be hitting that specialty pet sector quite hard. Um, and that to me has been, you know, the big community builder, the, you know, more services for pet parents and families, um, more of a tie to the community. So tell us a little bit about what's happening there. So in my opinion, it really matters what type of experience you're looking for. And I think that these neighborhood retailers have the best opportunity to talk to, talk to these pet parents one-on-one and be that educational resource that they need. And especially in a time like coronavirus, I would imagine that like a good chunk of the new pet owners are probably first time pet owners. And this industry can be a confusing one. Like there's so many different products to choose from. I think that this is where these neighborhood retailers really have the best opportunity to be this educational resource. Um, my hero. Um, and I think that they can, they want to attract these first time pet owners and be that resource. So I do think that they need to be on top of their game with knowing the new trends, knowing what customers are looking for, what they're looking to avoid. And then aside from education, they need to be on top of product innovation. So offering these new to market products that pet owners can't find anywhere else. You know, in fact, I think that those are two things that you just mentioned, like the educational resource and product innovation um, and what I would call discovery those are great opportunities for e-com too. You know, I mean, again, I really like the community that one-on-one getting to know people personally, that small neighborhood um, pet retailers have to offer. Yeah. I think that e-com could be such a great educational tool. Um, it's where people go for discovery because we're not roaming around in stores anymore. Mm-hmm. And so many retailers can't afford to have this, this, expertise that these smaller um, retailers can offer, you know, that passion. So to me, it's, it's kind of a silver lining maybe um, for Pat. So, um, okay. So I, as we wrap up, I just wanted to um, kind of go over some of the, the key things that we talked about today. And that is that the pet diet is very much mirroring, not by person, not by their own choice, but because of their pet parents, the same behaviors that their parents have. So if you're, if you have a pet parent that's really into natural and organic or looking for certain attributes, they're looking for the same things for their pets. And this is really kind of especially important to that natural and organic um, marketplace. Um, And there's a lot of room still for more innovation there, particularly things with like CBD and going after some of those conditions that you talked about in terms of like joint health and their coat health, um, their, their gut health, really interesting. Um, that sustainability is a huge opportunity for, for what I heard from you. You felt it was really a lot more around, you know, product packaging and um, some of those waste reduction. Um, I know that you're a big fan of Loop. I love Loop. Um, but again, messaging is going to be key there. And then of course the retail experience. Um, it's so important to like build up and support that pet community. 
Um, I think there's a lot of strategies that we can learn from neighborhood stores and it can be applied to all retailers, but I really see that e-com could be the big, the big leader in terms of education and maybe even discovery of new products. Mm-hmm. So with that, Hannah, I want to say thank you for your time and your expertise. And, um, and I was glad that we at least got to hear Hero. <laughs> thank you. Okay. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening. Please become a subscriber and let us know what you want to learn more about. We'll serve it up in a future IRI Growth Insights episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review IRI Growth Insights. Also, visit us on the web at iriworldwide.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.